Welcome to Lakeland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. You excited to be here? Good. I'm excited. I'm excited that you're excited. Can you welcome every, like everyone who's away right now on spring break? Uh, like I, We can do it reluctantly, but let's still do it, okay? Let's just give a shout out to everyone who's enjoying sunny places right now. Hey, hey, hey! Oh, man, right now, social media is just not the place you want to hang out. Because everyone is south, except for us who are still here. I'm so happy, actually, that you guys are with us today. This is going to be, I I feel like this is just such a sweet way, a sweet time. This is going to be a sweet service uh, as we finish up this series, a funny little thing called Love Today. Um, Before we get to it. Easter is just around the corner, and I, I want to highlight some things about this coming week. For us here at Lakeland, it, a lot of things are actually kind of launching into Easter, really today into all this week. So tomorrow, we've got some daily devotionals I'm really excited about that are actually going to walk us through Jesus' final week of, of his life, heading to the cross. And uh, the way that these videos uh, that we've already shot are done is like it's in Israel. So we're like on location, if you will, but obviously we're not there. Uh, but, but we're going to take you to these different sites and kind of walk through um, just kind of where Jesus was during his final week. And so those will be on Facebook, on YouTube, and on our website every day at 8 a.m. And I would encourage you to go there, share them on social media, uh, and encourage as many people as possible to go and partake in in those. So those will start tomorrow. We also have, uh, I know from a family perspective, our family uh, next-gen department have have provided family devotions. If you've got kids that you can do around the dinner table every night heading up um, to Easter. Good Friday, we've got, it's a digital-only experience. And I know some of you might be disappointing, like, oh, digital only, but it's actually designed to be done in an intimate setting. It's going to be super sweet. So whether it's you and a couple of your friends or your family together, but it's designed kind of like, if you imagine the original Passover, you want to know where Passovers were celebrated? In the home. And so that's where it's all designed is in this home setting. And so it's going to be really sweet as that happens. That's live stream uh, Friday night at 7 p.m. So I want to make sure, invite people to that. And then uh, finally Easter is going to be here. And so uh, next Sunday our, our service is here. And I would, obviously I want to invite you back here, but also invite someone to join us. Uh, come along with you. But then if I could encourage you in any sort of way, it would be this. Hey, if you've never taken a step into serving here, one of the greatest things that you could do next week would be come to a service, but then serve at a service. It helps us put our best foot forward for all these guests who will be with us. And I think, um, is there a way for people to, yeah, there you go. Text the word Easter to that number. Um, and Or you can swing by next steps if you're here in the building. Um, but we would love to encourage you, invite you to join the team in serving next week. We need a, really a couple hundred volunteers just to pull off our Easter services. So when you just kind of wrap your heads around that, we got tons of volunteers on a weekly basis, but we would love to invite you to hop in even for just that one Sunday to pull that together. So that's all happening. It's going to be a great week. I'm super pumped about it. And so it all kind of starts rolling uh, tomorrow. And I'm, I'm pumped about it. All right, let's get into this. Final week here, a funny little thing called love. 
Where have we gone so far? So week one, we talked about really this whole idea of like, we love because God loved, first loved us. And it starts with experiencing his love to us first and foremost. That's the beginning place on this whole crazy thing called love. If we want to love well, we have to receive God's love. Week two, we talked about loving him. Jesus's great commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So week two, we talked about loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Week three, we talked about the second part of that commandment. The second is equal to the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is about loving others. And I know some of you are like, okay, so now where in the world can we go from there? We've talked about God loving us. We've talked about loving him back. We've talked about loving people and loving everyone else. So now what else? What else is left in in loving? Good question. So this is what we're going to cover today is what else is left. And we're going to go into a unique aspect of love that Jesus seems to make a huge emphasis on. And you want to know when he makes this huge emphasis? the final week of his life. He actually makes this massive emphasis at the Last Supper. If you're wondering, hey, what's the conversation that rolled out during the Last Supper, like during the meal portion? We actually have it. It's John chapter 13 through 17 is that conversation of what Jesus was talking about with his disciples. And he emphasizes kind of something new specifically in the area of, of love. Check it out in John chapter 13, verse 33. This is what he says. Dear children, I'll be with you only a little longer. As I've told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Whoa, hold the phone. He's, he's, Jesus is about to unleash a brand new commandment. If Jesus is about to say something new, a new commandment, do you think the disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) This is going to be a big deal. Because up to this point, it's like what the law, what Moses has told us, God has told us, Jesus has told us about the great commandment, love God, love others. And Jesus is like, I got a new one, guys. I really want to make a big deal out of this. And he says this, love each other. And I know some of you are like, hold on, that's the same commandment that we talked about last week, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But it's actually different, okay? He says this, love others. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. So now what in the world is unique about this from last week when we were talking about love everyone, right? What's the difference here? And here's the difference. Jesus is not talking about loving everyone. He's talking about loving those sitting around the table in front of him, specifically Christians. He's saying, guys, I want you guys to genuinely love each other. This group of people who are not born out of the same family, but become a part of this kingdom family, need to learn how to love each other in a unique way. And so he's going to emphasize this over and over and over again during this conversation. Remember John 13 through John 17. It's one long dialogue, and check out what he says. John 15, verse 12. He's going to reiterate that this is my commandment. You've heard my father say some things. You heard some things get passed down from Old Testament law. But guys, this one's mine. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than this, than to lay down, life's, uh, lay down one's life for one's friend. A few verses later, verse 17, continue on. This I command. You've heard a lot of other commandments. This one's mine, that you love one another right here in this room. And he's going to reiterate this all over, uh, over and over again. He's going to call this one his commandment. 
And this is a new one that he wants to emphasize. This love for one another is going to lead ultimately to something uh, that he's getting to ultimately in John chapter 17. So let's jump, jump there. John 17. This is what all this loving one another is getting toward is this. I'm going to remain in the world no longer because he's getting ready to die on the cross. He's going to raise from the dead and he's going to ascend to heaven. But they, he's praying right now. Jesus is praying right in front of his disciples for them. They're still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Father. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be what? One, as we are one. This is what his whole point is leading toward. He's like, they need to love one another, and they need to act and behave like one. See, there's this new age that's about ready to be birthed, and it's the church era, where micro groups meeting in homes are all going to be part of this kingdom family that's united around faith in Christ, but they're uh, operating in different cultures and, and uh, kind of contexts. And he's like, but there's, there's got to be something that's unique about how they treat one another that is going to cause a result. And he's going to get to that result. Okay, let me get to it in John chapter 17, verse 20, just a few verses later. He says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who are the people who will come to believe in Christ through the message that the disciples start sharing? Who are those people? It's us. So it's future Christians. So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, is praying for you and I. Kind of a big deal, right? What do you think was on his heart for us thousands of years ago when he's praying to his father for us. Here's his prayer, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then he's going to continue on. He's going to get to kind of the, the result here. May they also be in us so that, here's the end game. Here's the big wow factor if we love each other as Christ has intended us to love one another. Look at, look at the people beside you. Those of you at home, look at the people beside you. Look at the people beside you. Look at the people you didn't come with that are beside you. Come on, serious. Those are the people we're called to love. And if we do this well, Notice what will happen. The so that. So that the world may believe that you've sent me. What does Jesus do right here? You want to know what Jesus does? He bets the farm on the church loving one another in so profound a way that he's like, this is the thing that will cause the watching world to go, Jesus is legit. And it's a tragedy when people go, it's you Christians why I have a problem with Christ. We've somehow completely missed the mark 
if how we treat one another is driving people away from Christ when his exact prayer was that how we would treat one another would draw people to him. That how we would love one another would be the mark that people would say, this thing is beyond understanding. That people so different can have a genuine love for one another. This Jesus guy must be legit. This is what Jesus is, is praying for. So that the world would believe. How many of you want the world to believe in Christ? Well, then it starts with us loving one another. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm all for people believing in Christ. But loving that person across the aisle from me, that's hard. I didn't say it's easy. I'm not necessarily easy to love. Ask my wife. <laughs> but, but when we do this, we set the watching world up to believe in him. That he can take wretched people like us and we can become lovers of one another. And it's not by our ability. It's only that which he can do in us. And then he goes on, I've given them the glory that you gave me. This is supposed to be a glorious thing, folks. Us loving one another is supposed to be like people walking into the Shekinah glory of God. Where the Shekinah glory was literally the presence of God that was so palatable, it was visual, that people, when they walk in and they see how we love one another, they should be like, oh my word, I've just walked into the glory of heaven. We're so far short of it that we may be one. We may be one as he and his heavenly father and the Holy Spirit, they are one. And then, of course, I love this. You know, I say Jesus raps for the first time, I and them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. It's my favorite verse where Jesus raps. <laughs> then the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. It's such a good, it didn't rap in Arabic, but. <laughs> but this is the end game, folks that Jesus is praying for is unity that would cause people to believe in Jesus. And unfortunately, there's quite a bit of division in the church today. Francis Chan said it this way, in the church, we divide easily because we love shallowly. We love when it's convenient, but he didn't call us to love when it was convenient. He called us to love always. Lay down your life for your brother and your sister. Now, I don't want to give honor to where the, en the enemy appears to be winning, because I know it feels like, in many ways, the enemy appears to be winning, because there's a lot of division in the church. <clears throat> I want to speak, though, about the matter through the lens of what will happen. And I think it's important that in faith, we start talking about what will happen. Because in John 17, Jesus wasn't just talking about a a utopian hope. He was talking about a kingdom future. This whole idea of us loving one another well and rightly so that the world will believe, it's not just a, uh, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if we could all love one another like Jesus commanded us to? It wasn't that. It wasn't just a, wouldn't it be nice? It was a, this is going to happen. This is going to happen, folks. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. 
In Jesus' name, this is on the way. This is our future. This is what the kingdom of God, the trajectory of the church is heading toward. I know it feels like a mess right now, but I'm telling you, Jesus wasn't saying, I hope it happens. He's saying, this is your kingdom future. I pray for them, and when Jesus prays for something, it's not a hope, it's a promise that will come. And the closer we get to the end times, folks, which I believe we're nearing those end times, the closer the church is being purified and turned rightly into that which we are called to be. The pure and spotless bride that loves one another as we're called to. This will happen. I, I speak about it not just from a perspective of what I believe could. I really believe God's up to something globally in the church. And I say it also from a perspective of this is kind of the world I live in with pastors. Like I, I have friends, I have pastoral friends all over our county, all over the nation. I, I'm really close with a group here in Walworth County. I'm really close with a group in Milwaukee. I've got good friends down in the Chicagoland area. And here's what I've just seen. It is happening, and it's been happening for decades, actually. And that is the pastors are seeing a sense of, the pastors have a sense of unity and love for one another that is legitimate. This past week or two weeks ago, I sat around with about 20 pastors at a table in a restaurant right here in town. Uh, and Primarily evangelical churches were represented there, but there were Baptist pastors, there's uh, Reformed pastors, Episcopalian pastors, Lutheran pastors, evangelical free pastors, non-denominational Bible church pastors, myself, um, covenant pastors, Pentecostal pastors, full gospel uh, churches represented, and even a Catholic priest. You, you could have called it a joke, you know, like, hey, a Baptist, a Lutheran, and a Catholic priest sitting around for lunch. And that's literally what was happening. You want to know what we talk about? Because I love these guys, and I've, I've loved these guys for years. We talk about how to take the gospel forward in our community. That's what we talk about. We don't talk about how we disagree or how we're different. or, or we, we talk about and we cheer each other on and we're for one another. You know, just uh, two weeks ago, one of my friends right here in our area who's, who's a senior pastor, he just passed away from COVID two weeks ago. And uh, some of our staff and some of our prayer team and some of our people here in the church went to their church last week just to be with them during their Sunday service for their first service after he passed away. This is why, because I love these guys. Now, here's what I've, I've realized is as I've had relationships with these guys for years, and I know they're for us and we're for them, what's baffled me is the shepherds are there, but the sheep are not. I don't say that accusingly of you. More baffled. The shepherds are actually already united. The sheep are not. And if anything, it's caused me to wonder why. And it's caused me some real self-reflection. And I think even some repentance. And maybe it starts with the shepherds repenting. Maybe it's of being too quiet. Maybe it's of not leading well 
in this whole area of, of unity. May, if, if there's, I would even say to me, uh, say to you, that I'm sorry. Like I would, rep- I repent right now if there's anything that I've, that I've ever done that has led you to feel superior to another church or denomination. I, I repent if there is, if ever in my preaching I've enforced a conviction of a matter that bred a superiority complex without compassion. Because the shepherds are there, but the sheep are not. So I think it's, it's on us. But I just want to say, guys, this is not okay. Like, we, we have to get to this place of what God's calling us to. And here's, here's what, if, if we don't, listen to what is said in 1 John chapter 4. If we don't love, he says we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates their brother or sister, talking about Christians, hates their brother or sister, is a what? Is a liar. We, we can't claim I love God and yet hate the people across the aisle from us. We just can't. He says we're liars. Whoever does not love their brother or sister, he's talking about fellow Christians whom they have seen. You can't love the one whom you haven't seen. Our heavenly father. So why does loving other Christians sometimes feel harder than loving just any old person in the world? (laughs) See, when someone's a non-Christian, it's almost like we're we're not frustrated with how they live, how they think, how they behave, or anything. We're like, I I wouldn't expect someone who doesn't love Christ to act like Christ. Why would I, you know? But here's the deal. As soon as someone's a so-called Christian, immediately we carry this assumption that they should be like me and think like me. Right? Question, Question. Show of hands. How many of you think that you are often wrong? Hold on, that you're often wrong. Wow, some of you are very humble people. I love you. Most people will be like, no, I do not think I'm often wrong. Like very rarely are we actually going to raise our hands and be like, yeah, that's me. I'm all the time wrong. No, why, do we, why is it that so few of us are actually like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm regularly wrong. We don't think that way. We often carry the assumption that our perspective of life is kind of, it's the best practice. It's the right perspective. And we assume that when we have the right perspective, it means that we assume that the other people... Uh, have either the wrong perspective or at least an inferior perspective of ours, right? It's just natural. Of course my perspective is right. And they must have the inferior perspective of mine. So what do we do? Well, we fight to bring people to our right perspective or our superior perspective. But maybe we are uh, not more right or more superior. Maybe we're just different. Like maybe we're just seeing things a little bit differently. Is it possible that maybe both of you actually have good, genuine arguments uh, to your perspective and you're just not seeing the other person's perspective? Like, these are just kind of common preferential differences. They're just preferences in life. Like, I love trivia games and my wife has told me she does not. She doesn't like them. I like them. I, I like going on difficult hikes. My wife will go on hikes, but she says, why make it more difficult than it needs to be? I like the difficulty in it. That's just what I like. If I'm going to go on a hike, let's make it up a mountain. My favorite form of exercise is lifting weights. Yours might be running. 
My favorite place connecting with God is in nature. Yours might be on the front porch with a cup of coffee. My favorite form of worship is loud contemporary music. Yours might be quiet, contemplative, liturgical. And that's fine. You know, I might like the Bears and you might like the Packers. And we all know that there is a team that is superior. And I can't convince you Packer fans of which team that is. But are you seeing that in, really in life, there's so many things that are preferential. It's not more correct or more superior. It's just different. And yet, almost always we assume that people need to look and think, especially when it comes to Christianity, like me. But the truth is, you're not called to be like me. I'm not called to be like you. We are called to be like Christ. Right? If you have a conflict with another Christian, maybe your problem is not so much that you don't see that they don't see things like you. Maybe it's that both of you don't see things like Christ. Check out this. Uh, I wanted you to consider this. There's a passage in Scripture. There's two brothers who come to a wrong conviction and a wrong application step, a wrong conclusion on the matter. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Check this out. So Jesus is walking with his disciples, and as the time approaches for him to be taken up to heaven, so he's nearing actually going to the cross, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, it's not that the Samaritans weren't interested in hanging out with Jesus. They actually wanted to hang out with Jesus, and they were frustrated that he's just passing through. Like, he wanted to just be there for a moment and pass on. They wanted him to, like, stay. So they're frustrated that he's not hanging out and staying for a period of time. And so when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That seems logical for a group of people who aren't welcoming us. But Jesus turned, he rebuked them, and he and his disciples went on to another village. Now, here's the deal. These are the disciples who have spent the most time with Jesus, right? They've had like three years of observing Jesus. He's performed miracles. He's healed people. He's fed multitudes. He's hung out with sinners. He's forgiven people that no one else will forgive. He's become known as this friend of sinners. He's like loving in every manner. But these guys are thinking back, hey, Old Testament, God, I remember one time when, when people rebelled and they were totally against God. He destroyed them with fire. And so the disciples are like, we haven't seen that one yet. And so now, now notice what they ask. The, the disciples, they don't even say, Jesus, you should do it. They're like, hey, we'll do it for you. How would you like us to call down fire and destroy an innocent village? Now, this seems crazy, right? But what have they done? They have come, <clears throat> they've come to a, con a conclusion on the matter. Uh, and it's way off from Christ's conclusion, right? They've come up with a conclusion. The people are wrong. And an application step, they should be destroyed. And it's way off from Christ. But notice here what Christ doesn't do. You want to know what Christ doesn't do? He doesn't give up on the relationship. He doesn't look at these guys and be like, guys, that's it. We're through. We're breaking up. He, he doesn't excommunicate them from the disciples. Guys, I know there were 12. Now there's 10. You're out. 
Judas is going to be gone soon. I guess it'll be nine. It'll be fine. You're gone. He doesn't give up on plan A. Of these guys, these guys who are ready to call down fire on an entire village to be the ones who will establish the future church. He, he doesn't bench them in ministry. He doesn't say, guys, you're on the side. Take a time out. He doesn't start a new denomination. He doesn't split the church. I know I'm joking a little bit and taking it a little extreme there, but it's kind of unbelievable how little Jesus does about this, I would call it an astronomical conclusion and application step that these guys come to that's so far off from Christ. I would say it's noteworthy how little he does. What does he do? He rebukes them, and then the next verse says, and they moved on. That's it. And maybe, folks, maybe that's the point. Maybe the whole point of this story that to me seems crazy that these guys even said it, maybe the whole point is that we recognize that Jesus doesn't fixate on their mistake or their difference or their wrong, but he actually just calls it out and moves on. Sometimes we, we fixate, we love to focus on the mistake of the other person, the wrong opinion, the wrong belief, the wrong behavior. We make it, that thing, the main point, and we split the church. We excommunicate the person. We start a new denomination. We bench the people from ministry. We give up on the relationship. We make that the primary conversation while Jesus might simply instead call it out and move on. Like what if... What if we're all perhaps a little off in our perspective and we've all chosen to fixate on what we perceive as the mistake of someone else or the wrong in someone else when Jesus' response to them might be like, hey, you're off base. Let's go. Let's move on. You guys are aware we have a mission? Like, I'm just wondering. Maybe we have something to learn from how Jesus responded to what seemed so far off base by just calling it as off base and then moving on. Saying, well, we can just move on from here. Maybe this is why the church struggles with loving each other. is because we focus on our perceived faults and differences way longer than Jesus would. So then how do we start fixing this? That's my time. All right, good. I got time. I got three minutes. I can knock this out in three minutes. <laughs> So here's the deal. <clears throat> how do we start fixing this? And how do we start loving one another well? Uh, I, I just want to give you three real quick applications. I'll do this like one minute per. I would tell you this. How do we start loving one another well? Commit to QSS to other Christians. Commit to QSS. When I say QSS, I'm, I'm referring to James chapter 1, verse 19. And this is what James 1.19 says. Dear brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be... Q, quick. Quick to what? Listen. S, slow. Slow to what? Slow to speak. Second S, and slow to become angry. Unfortunately, we invert that all the time, right? I, I, I'll be really, <laughs> I'm going to be slow to listen, quick to, let me tell you quickly what I think, <laughs> and quick to get fired up angry about it. But if we could commit to say, I'm going to spend more time listening to someone as opposed to trying to correct them and speak at them and be angry at them, and maybe that will change their mind, maybe we would love one another a little bit better. Second thing, 
that I would encourage you to do is consider that, that God's view of his kingdom is bigger than your view of his kingdom. Sometimes we, we think about the kingdom of God through like an us versus them perspective. Like, well, there's us Christians over there and those other people, they might be Christians, not quite sure because they believe a little bit different. They practice some things a little bit different than them. We're not even quite sure. I, I think about Peter in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He goes to the house of Cornelius, okay? Cornelius is a Gentile at that period of time. I want you to check out what this passage of scripture says. He said to, to, Corn, to them, it's Cornelius, you're well aware that it's against our law for Jews to associate or visit with Gentiles, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. See, you group of people, who Gentiles, who used to be impure, unclean, you couldn't have a relationship with God, at least through my eyes, I've realized I should stop making limitations on who God can love and who God can redeem. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He accepts from every nation the ones who fear him and does what is right. Last, last part. You know the message from God, uh, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The sooner that you recognize that um, there's probably going to be some people in heaven that you don't think deserve to be there, the better you're going to be. Because someone's probably thinking that about you. No, I'm not saying that rudely. I'm just saying none of us deserved to be there. It's only faith in Christ. Third thing that I would encourage you to do, it's this major on the majors, minor on the minors. And when I say this, what, what are the minors? When I say the minors, um, I'm, I'm talking about the things that your, your faith doesn't hang in the balance over these things. It, it's things like your position on maybe end times, position on sign gifts, practices around communion or baptism, preferences in worship style. Um, it, 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 your faith isn't in the balance on those things, but there are some majors that I think are worth, that we all agree upon. It's all those pastors I was sitting around that table with, we actually agree upon the majors. I would emphasize at least five that we would call the majors. It's like, what's the word of God? Who's God? Who's Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? How does one experience salvation? Those, those at least those foundations. What, what's the Bible? It's the inerrant word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's, uh, it's true from, the, from Genesis 1, to Revelation chapter 20, 21, 20, 20, 22. I forget how many chapters it is. To the very end, I even like the maps in the end. They're all cool. Who's God? The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who's Jesus? He, he is the God's only begotten Son, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He, he was lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Who is the Holy Spirit? The, the Holy Spirit, he indwells Christians. He bestows spiritual gifts to every believer. He's our helper. He's our teacher. He's our guide. How does one actually experience salvation? This whole thing called salvation. You recognize that men and women by nature are sinners from birth. We were separated from God in our relationship from birth. But God, in his love for us, sent his son to lay down his life for us at the cross that when we put our faith in what Jesus did for us at the cross, we can be forgiven and we can be set free and the Holy Spirit can indwell us and help us to live a full and complete life. These are the bigs, the majors. And I know all those pastors, we agree on the majors. Yeah, we disagree on some of the minors, but we agree on the majors. And here's how we're going to end. 
We're going to end by singing a song together called This I Believe. And really, it, it takes us through the Nicene Creed, actually. And the Nicene Creed was a creed that was written by some of the first church leaders who got together that said, we've got to put down on paper, what is it we believe? What is it that are the majors? What are the things that we'd say, this is, must be true? And as we sing this song, I want you to imagine, so here in the West, we're actually kind of finishing Sunday for most of the world. Are you aware? Most, most of the world's already experienced Sunday. And we're kind of just getting to the end of it, if you will. And I just wonder how many people all over the world have today declared the very truths that we're going to declare. And if you just imagine the multitudes, the crowds, the crowds all over Walworth County, the, the crowds all over the Midwest, the crowds all over the United States, the crowds all over the globe that would say, this I believe, then that's the family that we need to love so ridiculously well that the world would see it and say, Jesus is legit. If he can help those people love one another, so recklessly, it seems like. And we can love so recklessly because Jesus loved us in such a crazy, astounding way. So would you just stand with me here? The worship team's going to come out. They're going to lead us in a song. I just want you, as we sing this, to go, for you, declare, yet yeah, this is what I believe, but I want you to imagine, I want to invite you to imagine actually the massive family of God that believes this. This is the group we must love, Jesus. I think Francis Chan said it pretty well when he said we divide quickly because we love shallowly. Lord, we need you to create a rich and deep love in our hearts for one another. There's so many things that we just need to take captive, our thoughts that have anchored our thoughts and maybe the minors or things that really don't matter that our faith isn't hanging the balance on. Lord, we need to anchor our hearts back around the gospel and see the family of God that we're connected to and then love each other well. Help us in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.